Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Tuesday, May 24th, and today I'm joined by Bill Cohan to talk about two billionaires that could not be more different from each other, even though they're very different from the rest of us. Warren Buffett and Elon Musk. Bill will tell us why Buffett just bought a huge stake in Paramount, of all places, and he also plays out Elon's Twitter endgame. And later on in the show, Eric Gardner stops by to talk about Gloria Allred and her role in the civil trial against Bill Cosby. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I'm joined today by Bill Cohan. Uh, Bill, how you doing, man? Great, Peter. Great to be back. You sound so enthusiastic all the time. <laughs> it's my signature style, you know. I know. Everyone has everyone has yeah, their style. Low key. That's your brand. Yeah. I want to talk to you today about two of the world's richest men, uh, one of whom you might want to have over for dinner uh, and one you might want to never have over for dinner. Warren Buffett and Elon Musk. <laughs> We've been talking a lot about Elon on the pod, so we'll get to him. Mm-hmm. There's plenty to say, as always. Yeah. But Warren Buffett did something interesting a few days ago. He apparently bought a huge stake in Paramount. What is that about? So, you know, look, you know, when the markets crap out, like they've been in the uh-huh. process of doing for the last seven or eight weeks and quote-unquote correcting, for somebody who's like sitting on whatever, $140 billion of cash, this becomes a buying opportunity. You know, he's bought uh, a bunch of stocks, uh, which is sort of what he does. He sort of buys his time while everybody else is having a party. And then, you know, when things start going south, he'll he'll start going into the market and buying. And for some reason, uh, he bought like $2.6 billion uh, worth of Paramount Global stock, which used to be called Viacom CBS. The company has pretty much underperformed the last couple of years. So that's uh, that's probably something that appealed to Warren. The company has been underperforming. It's been undervalued. It's kind of like stock has done nothing for a while. Uh, it's been a perennial uh, buyout play. It's been a peren- perennial M&A play for someone, another big media company, to buy. Although Comcast has been a rumor and others. But the problem is it also has the CBS linear TV network. Uh, which, of course, Comcast cannot own because it owns uh, NBC. So, you know, basically Comcast, side, which, which I think would probably like to own the variety of assets that's in Paramount Global, although not entirely sure why, but let's just stipulate that they do. They can't do it as long as you know, they can't own both NBC and CBS. But obviously Warren did not respond to me about why he was doing this. Uh, but, you know, he only buys things that he thinks were undervalued. But I think part of it as well is that it's a perennial takeover target. And it will, you know, Sherry Redstone will have to sell it, will sell it at some point if she gets the right offer. Maybe he just loves Yellowstone, you know? Yes. He just wants to <laughs> buy what he loves. <laughs> Maybe he does. But at the moment, I don't believe Yellowstone is streaming on Paramount oh, Global. You know what? You're right. So, so this is the uh, thing with Yellowstone, it's like it's like everywhere and nowhere. Exactly, I don't know yeah, where it is. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not on Paramount Global. If he puts money into Paramount, does that mean a lot of like day traders and investors are, are going to follow? Yeah, and in fact, uh, you know, basically the stock uh, is up 16 percent 
or was, I don't know what happened today, but I assume it was up again today. You know, the market has been down, but since he announced this, whatever, last a week ago, the stock is up at least 16%. And that's because when exactly what you suggested is when he buys into a company, you know, a lot of other smart investors say, well, if Warren Buffett is doing it, then I should do it. If he's done the homework and he thinks it's a good buying opportunity, then all I have to do is piggyback. It's called free riders. So people, you know, he does all the homework, you know, he, he announces it and then everybody else can sort of pile on. But on the other hand, uh, he also gets rewarded because, you know, the act of piling on usually results in higher stock price and uh, the stock price is up about 16%, as I said. So in a down market, you know, he's proven that he's, you know, still got the halo effect and still got the magic touch. Well, speaking of um, not the magic touch, I guess, maybe he does have the magic touch. Uh, Elon Musk. <laughs> well, we, you I, know, we should all have that kind of magic touch. He's still yeah. worth $230 billion. Elon Musk is lashing out at Twitter again <laughs> over the number of fake accounts on the site. So this is the Twitter exchange that's getting some buzz. He goes, they, as in Twitter, still refuse to explain how they calculate that 5% of daily users are fake. So then a user chimes in and says, well, if 25% of the users are bots, then the Twitter acquisition deal should cost 25% less. Absolutely, responds Musk. <laughs> the popular commentary here is that he's taking Twitter to the woodshed, like this is unfair, he's beating the shit out of them in public and like driving the price down. And, you know, whatever you think of his tactics, <laughs> is he just being like a good businessman by drawing this out? And, and like the initial deal in hindsight now is like a little too high and he kind of knows that and he's just trying to like push Twitter farther down and then make an agreement. So the best businessmen, the best deal guys, they do their analysis they make their offer, they sign a merger agreement, and, and then they're kind of like men of their word, right? They don't, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they don't dick around. They don't tweet about it. They don't try to put the company, you know, make everybody, make everybody feel bad or question the company's efficacy. You know, they, they don't do things like that. You know, real deal guys, of course, want to be able to do the next deal. So they don't want to hurt their reputation. You know, maybe Elon doesn't care about the next deal. You know, maybe he doesn't care about his reputation. You know, I think we can probably stipulate that he doesn't care about it too much. But he's really not acting like a good businessman. He's acting like a kind of petulant child. Now, it might get him what he wants, which is a price cut. I mean, he's going to have to say, I want a price cut. He's going to have to kind of write the board of Twitter a letter and say, 5420, oops, I meant 4420. You know, he's hung up on the... Mm -hmm. 420 thing and uh, was that some cbd thing or i don't know what the hell it is uh, that's marijuana that's a marijuana reference okay so the know, devil's lettuce okay he's, he's <laughs> gonna want to like keep that i assume so i'm sure it'll be like 4420 it's really amateur hour okay he really cornered the the board beautifully he, he got the deal beautifully and ever since he got the merger agreement that he wanted at 5420 He's been acting like the dog that caught the car or having buyer's remorse. And so he's totally damaging his reputation, in in my opinion. Now, he can say, look, OK, I want to cut the price. And then what that will do is send everybody reeling. You know, everybody who bought the stock 
because they thought it was going to be 54.20, is going to be highly pissed off because the stock is going to fall. There's going to be a lot of lawsuits. There may or may not be you know, a lawsuit between Twitter and him. I mean, I think chances are, given how the market has crapped out, given uh, how full the price was to begin with, you know, my guess is that if he doesn't get too cute, as long as, you know, it's not too big a price cut, and frankly, if it's 44.20, I think that might be a bridge too far. But it, you know, there's some line of fairness. Fairness is a line, okay? Or it's a shaded line. And I've actually, you know, done these presentations myself. It, it, it's a range. And that range is a movable feast. They can reset that range. In other words, if he goes to, like, say, 44.20, which would be pretty outrageous. That's like a 18% decrease in price. But if, if, if he were to do that, then there'd be all this discussion at the board level at Twitter, and they'd probably say, oh, shit, what a, you know, what an asshole. You know, he cut the price 18%. But you know what? It's kind of still better than if the deal goes away, because if a deal goes away, stock's going into the 30s, maybe the high 20s, and then we're going to get sued, and the shit's going to hit the fan. So maybe even though, you know, in our early presentations, 44.20 would have been unthinkable, now it's kind of looking pretty good. So we don't like it, but we're going to accept it. They'll redo the merger agreement. They'll redo the proxy and he'll get his price cut. That's probably what will happen. At some point, he's going to piss everybody off because he's going to want to revise the offer. And if he's too cute, then the board will just tell him to go to hell. All right, everyone, you just heard Bill give you the exact play-by-play of what's going to happen <laughs> over the next few weeks as Twitter decides to settle. <laughs> yeah. Katie and I put on Hulu last night. They're teasing like a documentary, like a New York Times documentary about Elon Musk. Like, inside the self-driving his car, like, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to watch it. Like, I'm just like so yeah. like overdosed on Elon all day, every day at this point. Yeah. I'm like, I just get out of my- Get out of my head Get space. out of my free time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, All right. All right, Peter. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone. Now let's take a quick minute to see what's going on with Eric Gardner on his beat right now. Thanks, Peter. This week, Bill Cosby is going to trial in a lawsuit brought by Julie Huff, who alleges being sexually assaulted by the comedian all the way back in the mid-1970s. The civil lawsuit brought by Judy Huff claims that the comedian assaulted her at the Playboy Mansion back in 1974. She was 15 at the time. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Bill Cosby, really? Not, not again. I hear you. But I'm not paying attention to this trial merely because of Cosby, who at worst is going to be told to pay a huge sum of money as punishment. I'm also watching this trial because of the lawyer on the other side, Gloria Allred, who is pretty famous in her own right. Hi, everybody. This is attorney Gloria Allred, and I'm going to be commenting and answering some questions about the decision by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court today to overturn the conviction of Bill Cosby. For decades, she's gone after high-profile figures like Donald Trump, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Charlie Sheen, R. Kelly, O.J. Simpson, and on and on. Usually it's via press conference, and if she gets lucky, she may score a settlement on behalf of her clients. This time, and pretty rare for her, she's actually taking a case to trial at age 80, no less. Not only is she going to trial at an age when most of us would be 
winding down on the beach, but it's possible that Gloria Allred becomes Cosby's star witness. That's right, the defendant calling the plaintiff's lawyer to the witness stand. Sounds like an outlandish scene from some TV show, but here it could very well happen because Cosby is priming a defense built around the narrative that even if you believe him to be a monster, that doesn't make every allegation against him true. As Cosby's defense team argues, certain women might have made stuff up or come to faulty memories. And Allred and her famous press conferences represent an important part of this story that supposedly explains how. During the earliest days of the Cosby scandal, Allred was the one that engineered a lot of the media coverage, say Cosby's lawyers. She represented dozens of accusers and spoke at one point about a $100 million victims fund. If Mr. Cosby doesn't want to waive the statute of limitations, because he is not willing to subject himself to scrutiny in a court of law, he should agree to place $100 million into a fund. And anyone who claims she was a victim could appear before a panel of retired judges. In Cosby's eyes, this means that accusers had strong incentive to come forward and grab attention and attempt to claim a piece of what Allred was offering. If Allred does take the witness stand, she would have to explain how she operates and defend what she does. It all adds up to a very strange trial. And that's not the half of it. Check out my puck story for more, including how a law that Allred lobbied for opened the door to this very trial and also why Cosby himself won't physically be present. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.